0: fair enough um, and yeah so so you one of the things actually I should say that you you say right at the beginning of the piece and and go back to is that um, you know like Davis has a history of correctly predicting uh all sorts of terrible things you know that that have uh, you know that have that have happened I mean so he's, he's definitely not a, a peddler of false hope he's somebody who's who's talking about how the you know, the labor movement was going to keep declining. He's somebody who's talking about you know various environmental catastrophes before they, you know, really reach public consciousness. He's somebody who was talking about the danger of uh, pandemics overwhelming the you know public health care system. You know, long before COVID.
1: Yes. Um, so his first book that really breaks through into the mainstream is his second book, which is called City of Quartz, and it's a book that is just it's a it's an astonishingly original synthesis of so many strands of history and culture in uh, los angeles um and it's you know it's describing it's describing the the what what the what is the the state of the city of los angeles uh in, in when it comes out which uh, i believe was 1990 i'm not positive about that off the top of my head um uh, yes 1990 uh, and it comes out uh, shortly before Rodney King and the LA riots and it's describing this pressure cooker atmosphere of incredible uh, urban inequality in Los Angeles and it you know shortly after it comes out uh, you know these major riots pop off in in LA and he's seen as a kind of prophet. I mean, he—you know—the he, he, book comes out, and people are like, "Whoa! Like, what is this? This this book's wild!" And then uh, it seems to almost predict the explosions uh, of of the Rodney King riots. And uh, after that, he becomes this kind of intellectual celebrity. And you know, what a what a strange and unlikely thing! You know, this Marxist former truck driver uh, in 1990 or in the early 1990s, at the height of you know, just finished up with with Reaganism and it's sort of seamlessly transitioned into the era of Clintonism uh, or about to transition into Clintonism of the nineties. And uh, you know, as I said, it's like the go, go eighties and nineties. It's, it's the the capitalist triumphalism is like in full swing. And then this guy shows up and, and, you know, drops a turd in the punch bowl and then is seen as being like actually quite accurate uh, in in how he was describing uh, the state of the city. And what's amazing about, Davis is that he becomes this intellectual celebrity. I think I read somewhere I didn't put this in the profile but I think Bruce Willis was once photographed I think for the New York Times Magazine and he's got a copy of uh, City of Courts like in the background on a table or something like that. It's like that's the kind of stuff that was happening with Mike Davis. Um, And he he becomes like a genuine intellectual celebrity. He wins like a genius grant, and he's got all these people knocking on his door, you know, screenwriters and uh, famous academics, and he's being feted to lecture all around the world. And he could have really sort of cashed in on this newfound intellectual fame that he has. Mm. Um, and I, and he, in the Adam Schatz profile, he talks about how. Davis was at one point under contract to write a book after the LA riots about the LA riots. Uh, that would have been the smart career move to do when you're seen as the right. guy who predicted the LA riots. Then you should write a book after the LA. Right. Um, and he starts working on it, and he just he he can't stomach it. He gets uh, he gets deeply involved in former gang members in Los Angeles uh, who are trying to uh, uh, broker truces and are actually advancing this incredible. Uh, social democratic agenda and they're talking about you know increasing uh funding for jobs rather than more police you know stuff that sounds pretty familiar today uh and uh he decides that he just can't pull it off it's too heartbreaking to deal with the reality of these uh gang members uh lives in the form of a book treatment uh and he never you know he never writes that book follow-up which to me uh says a lot about who he is and like his sort of yeah it's almost like he thought that uh writing that book would have just been too easy and like he didn't want to just cash in on his intellectual fame. I mean he he had a whole uh, interesting career where he's helping gang members broker truces but he was less interested in cashing in to, you know, write a a big book that would become a New York Times bestseller or something. Um and and that's something that I deeply admire about him.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um and and yeah, it's so interesting that not only in that time, you know, he, he becomes this this kind of like uh, you know, both scholarly and, and, and popular, you know, uh, figure in that way. Uh but like also uh somebody who, yeah, I mean he didn't uh you know, just in case this got lost earlier, you know, he he was you know he was he was back in school for a while, but you know, he never finished a, a PhD. He was spending his time you know, driving trucks, uh, you know, throwing, you know, like dropping poisonous and carnivorous animals onto the floor of the new left review. Uh, you know, so he's clearly not, you know, interested in following that kind of um, or sufficiently interested in following that kind of academic track. Uh, but he's also not interested in, in following the track of, uh, you know, following up and, you know, like I said, writing the kind of book that people would have expected him to write as as a follow up, or you know, sort of um, trying to capitalize on what he'd already done in a way that would have been kind of like rationally self interested, like you know, like you know, presumably if he has a book agent, you know, the kind of advice you know that agent is yeah. giving him.
1: No, um, no, the the agent is like, please, Mike, please write the book, please. We, I need, I need it, you need it, we all need it. Please write the book, and he's like, I don't think so.
0: Yeah. So, uh, so, so take us, uh, so take us into uh, into the nineties. We talked about, you know, we talked about City of Quartz, you know. So, what, what does he, uh, what does he write after this?
1: So, the next book that he writes is also about Southern California, uh, but it is not the one that we that we thought he would write. You know, the follow up to the LA riots. It's called Ecology of Fear. It comes out in 1998, and another just astonishingly wild synthesis of a book, not at all what you would would expect him to be writing, given his history. And what's what's most uh, notable about this book, which is about the ecology of uh, Southern California, is uh, what, uh, how, you know, he's written this first book, Prisons of the American Dream, uh, about the organized working class in America, which is Probably not surprising for a Marxist historian, right? We're all concerned with this question of the state of the working class movement, and he looks at that movement and he and why Why do we pay attention to it? Because the organized working class is, you know, the most important agent of social change to bring about the world that we all want. Uh, So he looks at that and he finds that it's yeah,
0: yeah, and and I I should say by the way, I mean, I'm I'm sure a lot of people watching or listening know this, but I mean, I think something that's always worth taking a second to emphasize you know when we talk about this is that the the reason that uh that socialists have traditionally looked to the working class you know as, as that agent of change uh isn't necessarily thinking that uh that the working class is like the um is is like the most oppressed or most morally deserving you know element of, of society uh, that's not it, right? I mean, at the time that Marx is writing, you know, peasants, you know, sorry, elements that were urban poor that aren't even in the working class are 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 doing worse off, you know. Like that's that's not the question. The question is being in a structural position uh to uh to shut down society, you know, because it all relies on its labor and having a collective interest in achieving the kind of better society that you know that that we'd all want, right? So that's that's why um you know that's why we're interested in that but then when he looks at this says okay but how you know like um that question of, of structural power what kind of agency you know the uh, the working class it has that's not just like a fixed quantity forever you know like that's been affected by past defeats that's been affected by the way capitalism has changed
1: right yeah all that's true um, and so he is not feeling particularly great about the prospect of organized labor to turn around anytime soon. He thinks it's important, of course, but he's he's, he's not forecasting a, uh, you know, turning the corner on the attacks on the labor movement, the decline in its power. And so what he does in 1988 with Ecology of Fear is identify this other second concern of his writing career, which is the first one was workers and the second one is the weather and the the, when you say the weather i mean obviously now lots of people are talking about climate change and he writes about climate change sometimes um but that's not really what what he means i mean he's he's concerned with like the weather as its own like autonomous agent in uh, constructing and reshaping the world he sees it as like Uh, an agent who it's important to like understand that it just sort of functions of its own accord and like petty human exertions to uh, try to change that or to conquer it or to ignore it uh, are, you know, the height of human folly and the weather will have its, uh, its last laugh. And so the book is about the ecology of Southern California. And I mean, just you know it's it's you name it i mean you know uh, tornadoes uh, fires wildfires uh, earthquakes um, you know, squirrels bearing bubonic plague, uh, you know, cougars coming in from the mountains uh, to, like, terrorize the children of, uh, you know, who live in suburban tract homes that just got built. I mean, it's it's all about how the ecology of Southern California is, as he describes it, a revolutionary, not reformist landscape. Um, and the as this sort of center of, uh, you know, um, uh, like real estate development, like pushing into every nook and cranny, wherever it can go in Southern California. Um, and, and, you know, California in general as being, you know, the sort of like, it's the West. It's like, we're going to, we're almost like a frontier mentality, you know, uh, and we're, we're going to conquer all this stuff. And we're going to, we're going to tame the wilderness. Uh, and the, a bunch of the book is about how, how foolish this is uh, and how the weather is untameable. I write in the, the profile about, The most famous chapter in the book, which is called "The Case for Letting Malibu Burn," and uh, it's all about how this area of Southern California, Malibu, folks know the name. Uh, Everyone remembers the. Hopefully, everyone remembers the whole song, the the lesser-known whole song from the '90s, uh, Malibu, where where there's fires burning in the video. Actually. that uh, this is this place where, you know, movie stars and uh, uh, entertainment executives and like rich people live. And it's also the place where there's just uncontrollable wildfires that sweep through it because of the specificities of Malibu's ecology uh, on a regular basis. And I write in the piece about how, uh, you know, he's talking about this sort of contest between these extremely wealthy movie stars and executives and the fires. And it's very clear who he's rooting for in that concept.
0: (laughs) This has been a free public preview of a patron exclusive episode of give them an argument to get the rest of this episode and every other patron exclusive episode, go to patreoncom slash Ben Burgess.